My name is Josh Alvarez. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 114 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Or, 114. 114. Yeah, man. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's funny. So I've been, for listeners who don't know, uh, I've been off of social media now. This is two weeks since I've last checked any social media because, as you may or may not know, the world is a dumpster fire. Right. So I, I've completely missed like all the things going on in my friend circles and stuff like that. And um, I mean, it's fine. I don't feel bad about it. It's definitely a break that I've needed. And I definitely um, I needed to unplug just to refocus on the actual mission of what it is that we're doing, which is taking care of sick people and doing our best to be creative people, you know. But um, man, it's funny. I, I missed the whole drop of episode 113 with uh, my dear friend Andrew Welbrock. And like... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like completely debased. Like people are like coming at me and being like, yo man, I just want to talk to you because like, you know, it's been pretty rough as I'm sure, you know, and I'm always like, yeah, man, I get it. It's cool. But in my head, I'm like, nah, what, what happened? Is everything okay? Who, what, what's it? What? I don't know. I have no idea. And it just sucks, dude. But, I, um, I, I feel you. I've thought about creating an alternate Twitter that is just following, uh, news people and activist people and then i could go to that when i don't want to like my personal twitter is a mix right it's like informative people and then it's friends right yeah and you would and i know a lot of people feel the opposite they only want to follow friends on twitter they don't want any information but for me i like having the information from twitter that's how i know what's going on with protests is how i know what's going on uh politically you know like i just think it's more reliable if you know who you trust than the news um but on my actual timeline there's all this other shit going on and some of it is like so cornball like it it is so telling that in the midst of like an actual civil rights uprising in this country all this drama's going on on like film twitter and you know and not that none of that was important it turned out that the cinestate thing was a huge deal um, but there's stuff related to that, or maybe not related, but adjacent, that just is going all the time. And and the worst part then is like, even with the Cinestate stuff, for people who don't know, um, there was a lot of conversation about uh, Cinestate is the company that owns Rebeller and Fangoria and Birth Movies Death Now, and they put out movies or whatever. And a friend of the show, Josh Goldblum, had been going at them for a while about their politics because Rebeller was basically like an alt-right site. And there are people who wrote for them who weren't like that, including friends of the show. But uh, but Josh had been really concerned. And then because he was coming at them about their politics, people approached him to say, you know, they knew about this abuse that was going on. There was a director who worked with them, who worked at the company, who was arrested for uh, raping an underage girl uh, on set of one of his films. Uh, so he got put in jail, and then it started to come out that maybe they knew about him being abusive to other people, and there was like a lot of like talk, 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 and then this big article came out that was like, yeah, they they fully knew about it. Here's all the records that they knew about it. Here's them admitting they knew about it. This is how they handled it in all these ways. We talked to this like 50 different people about this, then the other, plus other people were terrible on set, including uh, Fred Williamson and whatever, whatever. So all this stuff came out, right? That is fine. That's news. That's something I want to know about, and that's news related to what we do here. What I didn't want to see was so many people either A, acting like uh, uh, 
this was not a big deal or that they were, you know, it, it was all the, the response around it. You know what I mean? That I just was like, I don't need all that. You know I mean, what I mean? But like, that's the thing, right? Like, that's the fallout of social media activity, right. right? Like, something happens, and then, like, a bunch of idiot people that you either know or don't know chime in, and the next thing you know, you're reading, like, all this bullshit, which I don't know yep. how you do it, Liam. Like, you're so good at Twitter and stuff, and, like, you No, been I am not. No, Yeah, no, no, you no. know what, though? You're, you are, man. Like, you're a presence to the people that follow you. Like, they know what you're thinking and what you're going through and all that stuff, and... I feel as though you have a, a, a good command over social media and your presence and place therein. But for me, like, I don't know, man. Like, honestly, I only keep that shit around for Cinepunks and for bands. Right. And it's a lot, man. It's a lot. I just I just can't. I can't. You know what I mean? Like, it's I mean, too much. Well, I mean, I have various opinions of that. I mean, first off, I, I think it's fine not to. I think taking a break is great. I think... I'd love for you to get back on it at some point, but I think that you being off of it is healthy and whatever. I also think that like, <clears throat> you know, it's a mixed bag and I think it's worth taking it at what level you want to take it. So like, I think a lot of people who are big Twitter people wouldn't think of me as being very good at it. I don't know how to like cultivate an audience. I talk probably too personally, like a lot of people that are actually kind of big on Twitter, like they they don't actually talk about themselves. They talk about other things or they make jokes or you know what I mean? So like I get really personal on there sometimes and I don't intend to. It just comes out and I don't think that's particularly healthy. But I also think the environment sort of shifted on there. When I first I was thinking about this the other day. When I first got on Twitter, I think a bunch of people who I'm friends with, they're nice people, they like me. But I think they got annoyed with me because I'm was so and I'm still so political on there. Only I think the whole discourse on Twitter changed, and now all of Twitter is kind of political. You know, I, I mean, I just said this the other day. When I first started interacting with film people, there were people who, with great pride, wanted you to know they didn't pay attention to any current events, they didn't know anything about politics, and that made them better than other people, that they ignored issues. And some of those same people who, like, again, I got on Twitter a long time ago, uh, maybe 10 years now. I'm, I'm not sure of the exact date, but it was a while ago. Some of those same people who honestly tried to make me feel bad for having opinions on politics and social issues are now, in today's environment, on their Twitter being like, fuck 12, kill cops, uh, you know, I uh, Biden's a sellout. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so many people have been like, you know, I don't know if it's legit or not, but they've been at least somewhat radicalized by the internet, you know? And, and probably by Donald Trump. I think Trump probably made a lot of people suddenly have opinions that didn't have opinions before. But uh, but it's just funny because I, I think I'm doing better now than I used to just because the whole tenor of the website has changed. And now people all of a sudden want to talk about prison abolition you know when i first heard about prison abolition uh as an idea it was seven years ago and i tweeted about it then and pe no one wanted to talk to me about that that wasn't a conversation anybody wanted to have seven years ago but that's just when i heard about it i thought oh that's a good idea i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell twitter about that hey twitter i just heard blah 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 and it's you know silence no one wants to talk about that but you know things have changed so I, I, you know i think there's a little bit more of a conversation going on now but the problem is and i think you're right about this you have to decide what's worth your time and i think following a bunch of people who um you don't actually enjoy what they're saying and you don't actually enjoy interacting with them is like a real bummer so i've just stopped doing that like i don't follow people out of obligation anymore and it's actually made my experience a lot better yeah that's that's the thing, though, right? Like, stopping following people that are toxic or at least whatever, like, 
I don't know, you get into all these, like, ideas about, like, social media loops and echo chambers and all that stuff, and it's just, it's too much to think about. You know what I mean? My brother and I talk about it, being that we work in psych, and we we talk about, you know, the effects of social media and just this, like, gigantic platforms on how it deals with people's mentals, you know what I mean, and their psyche and everything else. And at the end of the day, man, like, it's weird. Two weeks later, I definitely have more money you know what I mean? Like, I haven't been buying as much horseshit t-shirts and stuff. Yeah. And, like, you know, I, I, my, my, I've, despite being disconnected, I feel more freer in, in certain regards. Sure. But also, it's like, dude, you're moving to Chicago. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, stay the fuck off of social media, the only place where I'll probably ever see you until I see you in Chicago. And Lord knows when that fucking shit's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like, well, but, but we have other digital forms of connecting. You know what I mean? Like, this is true. We can but, I text, mean, like, we can call, we can get on house party. You know what I mean? Like house party is not social media. You know what I mean? Like in that yeah. sense, it's not like I got to read other people's bullshit. I could just talk to you out there. It's true. You're right. You're right. But I mean, also, it's like, you know, my people's in L.A., my people's in Chicago. You know what I mean? My people's like just all geographically disparate from here. And it's like I haven't talked to any of them. You know what I mean? I've had to reach out to people specifically and be like, hey, like Rob Newsom, our, our man in Athens. I had to be like, hey, buddy, I just want you to know I'm not on social media. I just want to say hi and like, you know, stay in touch. And here's my phone number. Holla at your boy. And like we've kept in touch that way. But it's like I could also just get back on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and just see everybody again but it's also just a lot man it's a lot on my it's a lot on my shoulders and i know that i'm complaining i'm a fucking 42 year old man liam you know what i mean like what business do i have like fucking around with twitter and all this other bullshit like at the end of the day i should just be eating hard candies and tucking my pants in you know what i mean like i don't know what the fuck i'm supposed to be doing with all this stuff but it's the world we live in so i'm just trying to keep it real and trying to keep it positive and try and stay focused again on the mission of just taking care of people that's it like for as hard as this is sick people have it worse right now and um just trying to stay focused on that you know what i mean i think you just uh it's not worth feeling bad about it one way or the other like i don't think i don't think you're obligated to be on social media if friends want to stay in contact with you they can use not social media you know and i would say that like my inclination to interact with people over social media is that it's easier and there's no sense of rejection. Like if I text people and they're too busy, then it's like, oh, they don't really want to talk to me. That's just, <laughs> that's just insecurity, you know? Like I think yeah. people appreciate it more if you reach out intentionally. On the other hand, I don't think that that means you have to quit social media if you do feel like you want to get back there. But then you have to do the hard work of saying, well, what can I do about this that's healthy? Like, what is there a way for me to interact with this that doesn't feel draining? And if it always feels draining, then just don't do it. I, I, as much as I like it, and granted, I really only like Twitter. I, I, I <laughs> if it wasn't for Cinepunks and Rough Cut, I would never go on Facebook again. I just don't like Facebook. Uh, and Instagram, I have mixed feelings. It's okay. I know that people talk about the negative emotional and psychological effects of whatever. I think I really only get that from Instagram. There's something about images of other people enjoying their lives that makes me (laughs) feel bad. Really uncomfortable? Well, yeah. I mean, in the sense of like, I want to keep up with them. Uh, Unfortunately, I've discovered too many acquaintances have gotten divorced because of their Instagrams. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because if, if, if I don't look at Facebook much, which I don't, I don't notice the big sad post that lets everyone know that they've gotten divorced. But what I do see is when they start posting dating pics with their new 
you know, guy or girl or non-binary. And I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> I as- a thing happened. I assume yeah. you must be divorced now since this is your boyfriend or girlfriend or person, partner, whatever it is. So like, yeah, I, uh, I, it's useful in that way. But, but I do think like if I am feeling sad and I am feeling sort of like uh, self-involved, you know, Instagram doesn't help. On the other hand, I will say this. While I do prefer Twitter for information in a lot of ways, during this time of uprising and of people sort of fighting back, uh, t- weirdly, Instagram has been a very good source of information, which it's never been for me before, ever. My Instagram has always been stupid, and I know that I could have curated it better over time, but it always has been. But recently, some folks in my life who I don't even know that well in some cases, I guess there's just something about right now that's getting people really politicized. So suddenly, instead of just like selfies or anime or memes, they're posting like actual useful information about what's going on. And you still got to fact check stuff and make sure it's cool. But that's partly what's weird is that a lot of it has been like, oh, yeah, that's good. Or, okay, you know, I don't entirely agree with that, but I see where it's coming. You know what I mean? So like, Mm. that's weird to me because the whole thing with me preferring Twitter in some ways is like not the platform itself, which is not really that useful, but that for whatever reason, I've tapped into more useful information there. Uh, and get, granted, I like the conversation. I don't want people not to try to have conversations with me on Twitter, but that's not why I go there. Or at least it wasn't why I went there initially. It might be a reason to stick around, but my first take was look at, I mean, I really only got stoked on Twitter when we're way back, way, way, way back the uprisings in the, uh, in the middle East. You know, Mm, I was seeing so many posts that way, like stuff that I thought, well, this is crazy. Like this can't be real. And then the next day, uh, Al Jazeera or BBC is reporting something I saw on Twitter the day before. And, and everything I saw is getting, it was fact checked and it was accurate. And I'm like, oh, so granted, it's not perfect. Lots of stuff goes viral on Twitter. That's not true. And you got to be fact, you know, you can't be irresponsible. But the reality is I'm still getting information faster through this thing than I am through the quote unquote reliable news. So I still find it useful for that. Now, is it tr- also true that at this point I've met people that I'm friends with because of Twitter? Totally. I'm not going to take that away. But that wasn't why I went there at all. Mm, I get it, man. I get it. So I say all that to say. If you've reached out to me via the interwebs, yeah. me specifically, not Liam or Cinepunks or any of the band stuff, just know I apologize for not being available, and uh, I do still love you, but you know your boy's just on a little break right now, so who knows how much longer the re- the recusal is going to last for? But man, I'm saying, yo, man, you got to do what you got to do. Nothing wrong with that. Got to do what you got to do. Uh, I, so this episode, we're going to be talking about two. Uh, I guess you could say they're political thrillers. It's funny because. Uh, Josh, you chose these movies, and uh, we we I feel like you chose them both because they are supposed to be political. But I could not imagine two more different movies that are in some ways about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny, right? Like both of these movies, I really enjoyed Z a lot, and I really kind of enjoyed Parallax View. But well, I guess we're going to get into that. We're going to sure. get into that. Yeah. But first, 
wasn't there some type of uh, thanking that we have to do first to a certain website and screen printer oh. in the Lehigh Valley? Oh, yeah. I guess we should do that or something. I was just wanted to establish <laughs> what we were talking about uh, up front. So that's for people who didn't catch it. Z, 1969 Z, which is a French film set in Greece, I think. Yeah. Uh, and French film set in Greece starring Yves Montand. Yeah. And 1973s? the parallax view i forget i don't have it in front of me um <laughs> uh yeah so and again the theme being political thrillers just sort of w- with what's going on in the world right now though again they don't directly connect but in a way they kind of do so we'll get to it uh up first we want to thank all of our patrons thank you so much for supporting us on patreon um i'm not going to say anything else because we keep turning ourselves into liars so uh hopefully <laughs> you're patient and hopefully that patience pays off very soon okay uh, we also want to thank our uh, sponsor, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. If you have an idea for a shirt, a sweatshirt, uh, booty shorts, sweatpants, a mask. <laughs> they got masks. There. I just went and picked up shirts today, and they had these cool LVAC face masks. Uh, they were nice. actually very well made, too. So if you're looking for a face mask, there are people to hit up. Anyways, if you're looking for any of that stuff to be printed, they are the place to go. They will print stuff for you very well. They're very professional. We're so happy that they are part of our family. I was actually going to ask Chris if he could make a mask for me that just says, it smells like shit in here. Just saying. I weird. I think it's a winner. I, I think it's I a winner. I weirdly love that and think it's actually really cool. <laughs> Anyways, go to xlvacx.com. We have Valley Apparel Creations. Thanks, Chris. Yay. I like that we don't make fun of Chris on this podcast, so then I can be more mean to him on hard business. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> There's something else that we do every episode, and every single episode, we always get to this point where we suddenly are taken by some sensation that there's a thing we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. That we've done 113 times already. Yeah. It's like both a moral and a biological imperative, which is weird, because you think they would be in, at odds with each other, but it's both yeah. of those things. And it turns out those things are not mutually exclusive. No, not at all. And what would we call that thing, Liam? I think we call it... Whack, Whack and on track. track! Yeah, that was very good. That was very good. That was good. That was really We're, good. I was yelling so loud, I didn't even hear you, but I'm sure it was in unison. It, first of all, it was in unison, so you better respect. <laughs> Am I going first, or are you going first? Whichever one, baby. Whatever one you want. Well, I mean, straight up, the whack is that uh, we continue to live in a terrible world. Uh, there's really not much more to say than that. Um, I mean, do it wrong. Do I want to have a politics podcast just so i can rant right now yeah that would be great but i don't have that we have a movie podcast so i don't want to burden everyone suffice it to say it's really telling that in a time when uh police are under the most scrutiny they could possibly be under they just can't stop killing people it's so weird (laughs) you know what i mean like it's like it's like if you're in detention and the one kid in detention is like i just think i gotta carve my name into this desk right now it's like yo man now is this is the one time you could maybe stop being a jerk off, but no, they just they're like, yeah, I don't know, I just really need to shoot this guy. I just feel like I should shoot him. You know what I mean? It's it's just horrifying. So that's my whack, and I you know anything else I did that was whack is subsumed within that whack. However, on track, I've got a couple of things. I watched a little movie called The Five Bloods. Ah, oh, how was it? Oh man, so this is the new Spike Lee joint. It's on Netflix. Um, so I, I want to acknowledge up front that there are people who have criticisms of this movie. One, people feel like it's too long. It's over two hours. 
people feel like it's kind of a mess. Uh, it, you, it has four different aspect ratios. It cuts between different sort of time periods. And it uses a lot of like stock footage and stuff to illustrate things that it's talking about. And so like I want to acknowledge that those things might be off-putting, including one criticism that I think is kind of valid, which is that it's a super masculine film in the sense that like there are no strong female characters. There are, there are female characters, but they're like are kind of accessory to the male drama of the film. And I acknowledge that as a criticism, that's always something to think about. All that being said, though, I fucking love this movie, and I think people who think it's too long are not appreciating the character beats and how important those character beats are. So, like, the story could be shorter, but I don't think we'd get the full characters we get in the film if the story was shorter. Um, And I think that uh, style of mid narrative cutting to something that feels more documentary it's just an acknowledgement of like how much history is forgotten you know like that there are people watching this film who are learning more about uh the vietnam war and the black panthers and aretha franklin and whatever else than they did in high school and and that might sound like an exaggeration but take it from a dude who has been a substitute in three different high schools now um Kids are still not learning about Vietnam a lot of times. Like, a lot of history class in high school still ends with the Civil Rights Movement. And they're like, and then uh, then Martin Luther King <laughs> got shot, and uh, that's it. That's about the end of history right there. So I guess that's all you got to know. Now, when I was in high school in the 90s, I thought, it's weird how... Vietnam in, in my school Vietnam was a class it wasn't part of US history and it was like an extra class and then the idea that you would learn anything about history during the 80s was like well why would you learn that it's so soon you know but here we yeah. are 2020 1980 was 40 years ago still not getting to 1980 and in, and like I said for most kids not even getting to Vietnam so I swear to God there are got to be Gen Z people who watch this movie and are like well I didn't know any of this shit you know what I mean? So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I I loved it. I thought it was great. I think the performances are great. I think uh, Delroy Lindo is great. I think. I mean, I honestly think all the performances are, are really solid. I guess it's kind of long, but I was sucked in the whole time. I like that it manages to be a war movie that still shows the humanity and the suffering of the other folks. You know, I mean, you, you know, it even highlights that in Vietnam they don't call it the vietnamese war right they call it the united states war it's the u.s war because you know we went there you know but it also shows like even the guys i mean there are dudes who are there to rob our main characters like they only exist to rob our main characters and yet they get a moment to talk about the suffering that they've experienced because of that war you know some you know one to two generations later and like who who humanizes the random dudes with machine guns in the jeep you know what i mean but yeah, like yeah, but yeah, spike yeah. lee does he he goes he goes out of his way uh and even having a character who is dealing with ptsd and is also like vaguely conservative like really shows like okay like he's really trying to portray a certain amount of humanity here well also you know it has a point it's an adventure film it's not a message movie the way that some of his other films are but it's it's unafraid to make certain points, and I think it works. Now, don't get me wrong. When Spike Lee doesn't hit the nail on the head, it can be spectacularly bad. You know, like the old boy remake yeah. I think is bad, or yeah, like yeah, yeah. I really don't like Red Hook Summer, stuff like that, you know? But when he gets it right, oh, man, I just think he's still so good. 
Um, yeah. You know? I mean, come on, man. Like, he's coming off of Black Klansman with this, right? Like, right. Right. Dude, that movie was a director, a tour reborn, you know? So I can only imagine that this movie is following in that type of uh, direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I thought it was great. I really, really liked it. Um, how, do, how does it sit as compared to other Vietnam War movies for you? I mean, to me, it's better, right? Because I think Vietnam War movies tend to either A, try to like renegotiate the war, like try to make it like try to defend it in some way, or B, are just like melancholy meditations about the waste of life and whatever, whatever. And this is so much more about the experience of black folks who served in quite a few wars without getting anything in return. And that's sort of what the movie is more about, is about that experience of having served but not being entirely sure why. Like not entirely being sure, like what was in it for you, um, and I appreciate that. I think in that way it works. Are there actiony bits? There are, and they're very good. And uh, this is definitely a movie when people get shot, it's gross. You know, like Spike Lee's not one of these like you elegantly take a shot to the arm and then just keep talking. Like people, there's a lot of explosive blood in this movie, but I like that. I think that works. Um, so yeah. Are we talking like Fulci levels of like splatter? No, like, like we well, like- yeah, well, I don't want to ruin. It. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. There's only one part that it goes full Fulci, but there is a part where I say Fulci. That's you know, no one's getting anything in their eyeball. But uh, is there a bit of gore? Yeah, there's a bit of gore. I I guess there's some sense from a, a few critics I read that like they got the sense that it's supposed to be an anti-war movie and they're like, we can't have an exciting anti-war movie. But like, I don't think it is an anti-war movie. I'm not sure that Spike Lee has a strong opinion about war, but what he does know is that it doesn't make sense that black folks and Vietnamese folks were killing each other in the jungle because they didn't have a fight with each other, really. Mm, you know, yeah. And I think that's, in the end, what the movie's about. It, But it's about that without then trying to make that conflict not real. Like, both sides suffered and they're mad at each other and it's okay that they're mad at each other it doesn't take away sometimes when you show war in a certain way you take away the emotion of it so like soldiers just have to stop being traumatized or something you know what i mean mm. like they're it, uh, it, you know this but for those people who are maybe new to the show or haven't heard me talk about it before i'm a full on pacifist like i'm a full on every war was a bad idea like 100% that's how i feel wars are bad ideas uh Personal defense is probably also a bad idea, uh, and I'm not sure that I'm on board for any use of violence. That's where I'm at. And yet, and yet, and yet, watching this movie, I didn't feel like... My worry is that when you make movies about war and you want people to see that the war is bad, you discount the pain of the people in the war. So like, like the reason that violence is ubiquitous, and by that I mean... Um, it continues to uh, permeate itself everywhere. The reason for that is because the pain caused by violence is real. So, like, it's not that, like, soldiers who went to Vietnam just need to get the fuck over it or the Vietnamese need to get the fuck over it so that the rest of us can just live in a peaceful world. It's that you have to find a way to believe in and foster peace while taking seriously the deep pain that you can't make go away and that's what the film does very well is show that even though these men are coming to terms with the fact that they don't have beef with vietnam and with vietnamese people they're still traumatized so uh, definitely at different levels because some of them are really fucking traumatized but they're still traumatized the same way that the people in the place where they you know participate in the war are also traumatized so i just think it handled that very well while still being 
a war movie and not being a message. It's not like an emotional message movie. It is kind of exciting, but it's like that's not the the point. I mean, that is the point, but it has other stuff going on in it. So, anyways, I liked right? it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. Uh, I, so you recommend it? Oh, he, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess if someone is really iffy on violence or something, maybe not. But I think uh, I think most people would would like it a lot. I just the only the only serious criticism I had is like you know I think some of the female characters could have been given a little more space to breathe, especially since the film is so long. It's like okay, we'll cut back some of the stuff and let the women sort of exist a little more. But uh, but that's fine. I mean it. it 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 really does a lot with its with its time, so I think it's I think it, I think it's still good the way it is. Um, I also uh, you know I watch a lot of shows with Maeve because you know she's uh, our kid and uh, you know like she it's just really hard to like take over the TV. So you have to find stuff that she wants to watch too if you're going to watch TV. So. Uh, we've been watching a lot of kid shows with her, and you know, on this show before, I've recommended like We Bear Bears and Steven Universe and uh, Avatar and whatever else, right? Uh, Bluey, Bluey, and I hugely, I'm so glad that you checked out Bluey. By the way, that makes me so happy. It's so 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 good. It's on my on track part of the of the show. But go on. So. I just watched a show randomly on Netflix because I just feel like, okay, well, Netflix has a few things that I like, so let's just, like, explore what they have and see what we like. And, you know, that's how I got onto She-Ra, and I really like She-Ra. Uh, but I watched a show called Kipo. Kipo and the Land of Wondrous Beasts or something like that. And uh, it's under – Netflix actually has a uh, – they if you people might not know this, but – they actually collect things into these collections. If you go into your search options, they'll have collections. Uh, and they do it, especially in the kids section, so that you know different kid shows that are similar. So if your kid likes this, maybe they'll like something else. Or if they have a product that has a different editions, whatever, whatever. So one of their collections is Representation Matters. So I saw that they had that. I'm like, well, what's in Representation Matters? And there's this Kipo show. And I guess it matters because a lot of the characters in Kipo are not white. So, you know, representation. Cool. The show itself, though, is so fucking good. First of all, the cast is crazy good. Uh, there's definitely a point at which there's a bunch of scientists wolves. So let, let me let me, let me me back up a little bit. Kipo is set in the future. And in the future, human civilization has crumbled. And uh, a lot of the animal populace has mutated. Some of those mutants are giant. And some of those mutants are human size, but they can talk and think and whatever. And humans are mostly hated by animals for, you know, a bunch of obvious reasons. And so humans, if they live on the surface, they're like scavengers. They sort of get by in like a Mad Max style way. Or they live underground in what's called burrows. And all the burrows are sort of different. So the basic plot is girls, burrow gets attacked. She escapes. She can't find her family. She meets up with various people on the surface, uh, both human and, and, and mutant. And uh, they decide to help her find her family, her burrow and her family. Uh, and then in the course of the show, you find out that she has actually has powers and blah, blah, blah. So at a certain point, they go to get help from these uh, wolves who are scientist nerd wolves. And the leaders of the wolves are voiced by John Hodgman and Jizza. And at a certain nice. point, John Hodgman and Jizza wrap together about the universe and astronomy. Unbelievable. That alone should sell you on the show. But also know that yeah. the show is basically one in which everyone is at each other's throats. Everyone thinks they have to hurt each other to live. And Kipo wins not because she has 
powers that slowly reveal themselves, but because she just loves people and she can't help herself, and slowly like her love for people and I say people, but I mean mutants and humans, that eventually it wins over most people. It doesn't win over everyone, but it wins over enough people that she makes allies and things like that. And there's all kinds of fun guest appearances from various voice actors. Some you'll recognize, some you won't. But uh, it's just a lot of fun, and the soundtrack is like mostly hip hop with a little bit of like uh, British, like trippy stuff. And uh, uh, one scene, there's like these punk apes, and they have like r- pretty good punk music playing. And sure. it's just it's just fun. The animation's good. The music is fun. It's well written. It's very emotional. I don't know. I just love it. It's it's just the the exact kind of show that a kid can appreciate, but an adult is going to love. So if you could check it out, it's on Netflix. It's called Kipo, and then some something about wondrous beasts or something. I don't fucking know. But if you just look up Kipo, <laughs> you'll find it, and it's a huge recommend. If if you're someone who hates anything for kids, you're not going to like it. But anyone who has any appreciation for you know adventure animation like avatar or the dragon prince or Korra. like if you like any of that stuff this will fucking click for you and you'll love it i i think you'll love it awesome that's it that's all i got unfortunately i wish i had more for y'all but that's everything i've done <laughs> is just watch this <laughs> thing that's those are pretty good man sounds like you're having fun i'm into it backed what's up with you buddy so on track um i watched a little movie called the king of staten island that just came out last week on netflix i believe uh starring pete davidson and bill burr and um it's a new movie by mr judd apatow do you know about this movie i do Uh, i enjoyed it Uh, i mean at this point in the game i think i'm a judd apatow fan i don't know it's one of those things where it's like um you know it's I've seen a few, and I don't, I don't, I don't like carry a flag for the man or anything like that. I'm not like on board like a straight up stand for Judd Apatow, but you know, uh, me and Melani are big Pete Davidson fans. We did see him when he came to Helium the last time, and like, you know, he's an interesting character. And the movie was fine. It was, um, it's one of those like adult drama Johns with like you know, person just kind of like paralyzed in development because of trauma, and then like, I don't know. It was, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. But it's one of those movies where you see, like, um, a lot of the things that Judd Apatow enjoys, which is, like, comedians talking to comedians and not being funny. So right. it's a whole lot of that in the movie, and I enjoyed it. And um, it's there. Steve Buscemi's in it. There's a lot of, like, interesting characters in the movie. And um, I enjoyed it. It's, it's one of those movies where if you don't know about Pete Davidson's history, I'm not so sure the movie will connect as well. Cause it kind of, and and that's like my one criticism. Like, would I care about this movie if I didn't know who Pete Davidson was? But uh, being that I did, I, I I enjoyed it. I connected with it. I don't know what. Um, again, as I've recused myself from all social media, I don't know what the general uh, consensus is on this movie. But uh, I definitely had fun time watching it, and it definitely uh, hit me in a couple chords here and there. Plus, um, I want to give out uh, give a shout out to my homies Frank the Butt and my homegirl Sharon, who are Long Island natives. And the whole time I was watching this movie, I could only think about them, and they're some of my best buds. So, what's up, guys? I know you're not listening, but I love yous. So, um, King of Staten Island, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't. It's one of those movies though where it's like 
there, there's a couple scenes like action bronson's in it for some reason like the, just weird stuff like that keeps on popping so it keeps you like on your toes as you're moving through it but the drama about trauma and like just trying to get over it and moving into adulthood as a person who experienced a lot of trauma as a child i definitely see that shit happen to people on the daily at my job so watching like the actual dissection of it um from like a filmmaker standpoint not that we haven't seen movies about mental illness and, and trauma and stuff, but uh, in, a, in such a way that the characters are like people that we may know. You know what I mean? It felt a little bit more real in that regard. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I would say watch it if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> if you're into Judd Apatow, get in there. Um, so yeah, so I saw that. And then we saw, Milani and I saw a movie called The Lovebirds, starring Kumail Nanjani and Issa Rae. And... Um, that was fine. I don't know. I'm interested in it. I didn't resonate with it as much as I thought that I would. It's like a, it, it was basically like a fun version of uh, the political thrillers that we were watching tonight. So I don't know. Like if that were goofy comedy with rom-com added in there, that's kind of what that movie is. It's fine. I don't know. I do like Kumail Nanjani and I do like Issa Rae a lot. So it was fun watching them interact with each other. And um, just their comedic moments with each other are super fun to watch, you know. But overall, the movie was just kind of fine, you know. It didn't really speak to me in any profound way. I mean, I I love Issa Rae, so I might just watch it because of that. Yeah, I love Issa Rae and I love Kumail. So, like, watching both of them is just super fun. And, uh, again, it's like a carb, you know. Like, a lot of flavor, not much substance kind of thing. That's where I was at the end of it. So... So that was fun. Uh, as far as whack goes, uh, I will say, yeah, no, nah, whatever. I'm, you know, just maintaining. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know uh, if there's any one pinpointable whack business I can air out on my uh, very famous podcast. But you know what? I'm good. That's cool. I mean, I, I feel you. I feel you. I think. Um, I think it's it's just hard for me, and I was talking about this with a uh, friend of the show, Jackie Sanicario. It's just that um, it's just hard for me to take my own. Sh- like, I have stressful stuff right now. I'm going to be moving soon. Uh, I don't have income currently because I left my library job, obviously. Like, I didn't want them to be paying me when I knew I wasn't coming back because I'm moving. Um, you know, I mean, not that there's not good stuff too, but there's stuff to be stressed about. But it's so hard for me to be stressed when, like, every day there's new uh, things to be angry about and i can let that anger distract me from my own stress and my own emotions but like jackie was really pointing out and i and i hope other people feel this way like you how you feel matters it only doesn't matter in the sense that you prioritize it over the suffering of people on like a large scale so like when people are like well i don't like hearing about all this police violence because it makes me sad well okay i'm you know i'm sorry it makes me sad too but that that sadness you're feeling is not more important than the dead people. Like the dead people are the priority. On the other hand, how you feel is how you feel. So if you're like, I really care about this, but I'm exhausted and I need to take care of me for a while, then you also need to do that. Like the the idea that I just need to burn myself out, like going to protests or something forever, is like just not real. It first of all, it's not actually effective. Like you know that you know. Uh, that somehow the this movement isn't going to work because I didn't tweet about it or I didn't go to a protest is like psychotic. Like that's not real. But also I can't do anything if I'm like 
squishing myself down and not listening to how I'm feeling and not listening to my emotions. Like I need to like acknowledge like, Oh yeah, this is really hard. Like all of this is very hard for me and I need to live with that. And I need to like take care of myself. You know, it's, that might not be fun. And I know for some people that's not even how they operate. They don't want to take care of themselves at all, but y'all feel what you're feeling and take care of yourself and don't beat yourself up because no one's going to be liberated because you didn't give yourself time to rest. Like that's not how this works. Yeah. Agreed. Well said, Liam. Well said as always. To be fair, I was beating myself up, and I only got there because Jackie was like, no, that doesn't help anyone. And I was like, oh, you're right. You're right, Jackie. I'm sorry. I should have thought of that. Shout out to our girl, Jackie. She's the best. She's the best. uh, I I miss seeing her in Philadelphia, but she's one of the people that I miss from social media. So there you go. Oh, she's the best, and we love her a lot. Okay, so we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about these two movies. Uh, Which one do you want to do first, Z or Parallax View? Uh, let's do Parallax View. That's when I watched first, and then we'll do Z. All right. So we'll be right back uh, after the break. They hung a sign up in our own town. If you live it up, you won't live it down. So she left Monterey's son. Just like a bullet needs a gun With charcoal eyes and Monroe hips She went and took that California trip Well, the moon was golden, her hair like wind She said, don't look back, just come on, Jim You gotta go Hold on, take my hand Stand right here, you gotta hold on Well, he gave her a job to a watch And a ring made from a spoon Everyone's looking for someone to blame If you share my bed, you share mine Don't need nice girls in coffee shops She said, baby, I still love you Sometimes there's nothing left to do You gotta hold on, hold on Gotta hold on, take my hand Stand right here, gotta hold on Well, God bless you Little heart, St. Louis got the best of me. I miss your broken, shiny voice. How I wish you were still here with me. Well, you build it up, you'll wreck it down. You burn your mansions to the ground. There's nothing left to keep you here And you're falling behind in this blue world You gotta hold on, hold on Gotta hold on, take my hand Stand right here, gotta hold on 
So here we are, we're going to talk about two movies that I picked because I'm like, you know what, man? The world is a dumpster fire. Let's talk about other political movies that show dumpster fire in world movie stuff. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I was just, sometimes you just pick movies like that. Like, here, the listeners, this is the way it goes, right? Liam will pick something and then I'll pick something. And then we, you know, we go into the episodes that way. Like, we try to divvy it up and... For me, I don't know about you, Liam, but for the most part, I try to pick movies that we've never seen before or that we've only heard about. And I don't want to go over stuff that I've already, like, thought about. You know what I mean? Like, for all intents and purposes, Cinepunk's the show, the flagship show, for me, is the mental, um, just the, the, the exercises of going through things that I'd never seen and discovering. Right? So, like, as far as, like, picking movies, I definitely only once have tried to pick a movie that would be like, well, we gotta impress our guests, so let me pick something cool. And uh, longtime listeners of the show will remember the Jay Shevchuk interview where uh, I picked the Jan Svankmeyer movie. I picked Alice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Jay didn't like it, and I didn't end up sounding cool at all. Mostly because we had a lot of sound episode issues because that was, like, the fifth episode or something like that. But, um, yeah, at that after that, I was like, you know what? Never picking a movie to try and impress anybody ever again. That's just not going to happen. And at this point, I'm just picking movies that I want to see that I haven't seen. So, that said, I said all that to say. We came to these two movies because I'm like, I never saw these movies. These seem fun. Let's go for it. So we picked The Parallax View, 1974, starring Warren Beatty. And we picked Z, 1963, right? Liam, is that 63, is it? 69. Ah, Sweet. Uh, yeah, 69. That's what we picked. Uh, Z and the Parallax View. And, you know, so what's your relationship with these kinds of movies, Liam? Like these, like, uh, conspiracy theorists, like, you know. I mean, I hate using that, th- those words because it sounds like I'm demeaning, like, the actual content of these movies and, like, I'm conflating them with these, like, crackpot 5G whatever, whatever things that are going around the world today. But what, do, what is your experience with these kinds of movies? And what do you think a better phrase other than conspiracy movie would be for these things? Political espionage? No, I actually think conspiracy makes a lot of sense for this film because it mirrors a lot of the conspiracy culture and conspiracy theory buff culture that started around this time. Uh, I think I think paranoid paranoid thriller or political thriller is fine. I think this is a film very much about paranoia, uh, and I'll say 
I'm mostly unfamiliar, although we're setting a theme, right? Like some of the biggest films in this genre, right, are The Conversation, which we recently covered. Yeah, uh, which three days, I love. Three Days of the Condor, which we recently covered. Uh, On the same episode as, didn't we cover that in the same episode that we covered uh, The Conversation or no? We might. No, The Conversation I thought was our San Francisco episode. Oh, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. Um, what was I saying? Oh, and then uh, I really like that movie Clute. That's one of those sort of paranoid sort of whatever movies a little bit. Um, there's a few others that were in this article that me and Josh read that like I had never heard of or I just hadn't gotten a chance to see. Um, I, in theory, I like them. I certainly like, I, you could argue that Progenitor is probably the Manchurian Candidate, and I love the Manchurian Candidate. We watched that together on our uh, Cinepunks retreat, and uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was great. So... I'm down. Um, I I will say though, like, there's a bunch I haven't seen yet. So file this. This is similar to black exploitation for me in that I like what I've seen, but I certainly am no expert, and I think there's more to see. And there that might mean I get to the stuff that's like less good, like the third. You know, like when you it, it's like when you first get into any musical genre, right? Like the first, probably the first like uh, crust bands you ever hear sound amazing, but then when you get to like the third tier, you're like, okay, all right. All right. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get That's it. why people stop before here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, there's no, there's no need for you to have the United Supervillains 12-inch. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's already... You're going you're going for it at that point, you know? Like, or the Temeo's key 12-inch. Like, yeah, I get it. But, you know, it's cool. Right. It's cool. So, all, all that to say, um, I had never seen this movie before either. And I don't actually... Sometimes I pick movies I know we have seen before because we haven't had a chance to talk about that genre or it's a, something we haven't recorded for yet but Mm. sometimes yeah i do think these are two things i want to see that i've never gotten to see and i'm glad that you picked these because they're both films i mean i had never even heard of z before so without you picking it i would have probably never gotten to see it i'm so glad i did um well let's get into the parallax view because i know that we uh i don't know that there's a lot to talk about there um Josh, what is this movie about? So this movie is about there is a political assassination of a senator at uh, the Space Needle in what I assume is Seattle. But is, that's right, right? That was in yeah. the Space Needle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Warren Beatty and like uh, there's a bunch of press there and it happens in very public like arena. And dude's like, you know, just gets blown away, blasted. And then the movie reconvenes three years later. It's ruled as an assassination by a single gunman. And then the movie reconvenes three years later when one of the reporters that was there with Warren Beatty, but not like with Warren Beatty, um, comes to see him at his apartment and is like, hey, all the other reporters that were at that assassination event when, well, not that it was like an event for an assassination, but they were at the event when the dude got assassinated. Um, she's saying like of the 18 reporters that were there, six of them have, have died mysteriously. And she's convinced that it's a plot by, um, someone who she doesn't know, some type of shadowy organization to murder all of the reporter witnesses that were there on that day. And she believes that she is next. And Warren Beatty's like, no man, like you're just being paranoid. This isn't a thing. And the next scene, she's dead. So then Warren Beatty, like, ends up looking further into the details of the people that were around at the time and one by one they're getting off here and there or like strange situations happen and so he recognizes that there's actually a shadow organization that is somehow related to this that's called the parallax corporation and so he finds um he finds an application 
for it at the uh he he ends up going to this one place where one of the one of the witnesses apparently drowned and he goes to this small town called salmon tail i think it's called and um he ends up um he asks the police that found the dead body where this person apparently was fishing and they drowned when these dams open so he has to go see where that happened and the the policeman takes him there and when they're there the policeman tries to murder him tries to shoot him while like the dams open and all that stuff and he manages to get away and he manages to subdue the the cop to the cop's presumable demise and he ends up uh like going back to the cop's house and he searches it and he finds an application for the parallax corporation and then uh it just goes on from there and he gets deeper and deeper and deeper. He actually gets to the part where they interview him to be an agent for them. And just exactly what it is that they do is still like weirdly dubious and he's not really sure and then moves on. So that's basically what the movie is. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, did I did I miss anything, Liam? Well, I mean, it's just worth saying that like uh, there's a lot of ambiguity in the film. It's not clear. I mean, he he is so sure that he's in control and we see him make a bunch of decisions that give the appearance that he is in control but slowly the movie uh erodes that sense of control until by the end it's unclear if uh, if he's being played or if he's the player in the game yeah and it's really strange like the manipulations by the end of the movie are just like whoa I, I just don't even understand what's happening you yeah. know what i mean i like, mean let, let's say we're gonna spoil the movie like if you haven't seen it yet is you know it's 50 years old like it's a it's okay <laughs> it's okay we're gonna spoil we're gonna spoil the movie so uh but what's unclear is a if they've been playing him from the beginning right uh-huh. b if midway through him getting this assignment they figure it out and then they set him up or c if the whole thing is about it's finding the whole time like yeah like, the assumption is they hire assassins and that they are vetting him to be an assassin and he's trying to figure out how to stop this assassination but by the end it might be that they actually find patsies and that he to take the fall is yeah the, is the fall guy he's the lee uh, lee harvey oswald uh and and that's really so in a, in a real sense y'all i mean the movie starts with two things it starts with assassination it also starts with uh a commission a commission hearing in which this soulless group of old white men let you know why the assassination happened which is no big deal and assures you there's certainly not a conspiracy going on here and you should stop looking for a conspiracy and it's so painfully obvious from the beginning that this is about the kennedys and not just john f kennedy yeah it's not it's about rfk and it's about martin luther king too yep it's it's about these political characters that have been assassinated and right. how that got glossed over. Well, and there's subsequent- direct connections, right? Like in the Space Needle, he's shot specifically by a guy just as a waiter, just like Robert Kennedy. And even the way he's laying on the ground is a recreation of Robert Kennedy on the ground. It's like an exact thing. And then with the JFK thing, it's really telling that Warren Beatty's character goes to a bar and gets beaten up by rednecks in what is basically Texas. Like it's clearly like his Texas experience and he experiences his own sort of Texas justice when the sheriff tries to kill him, tries to fucking murder him in the river. And and you're just like, oh right, like here is the Texas connection. 
action. Um, but the other thing the film seems to be about is viewing, which shouldn't be surprising. Uh, the name of the movie is The Parallax View. And for people who don't know, parallax is the way that uh, you see an object differently from different perspectives, you know? Um, and, and so in some ways, The Parallax Corporation is about creating perspectives, right? It's about manufacturing different perspectives on an event, right? And so... Um, in that sense, the film operate, you know, you see the assassination through a window. There's always things being obscured here and there. There's always, you know, things blocking your view. And that, I think, works in a real strong metaphorical way to sort of talk about the politics and the ideas of what's going on in the film. I would agree. Yes. Um, and it's, and it's, some of it is like really sort of powerful. Uh, I mean, a lot of the movie is very good, but the ending, I think, is unbelievable. Beatty finds himself going to try to foil this plot, right? And we're presented almost with two worlds. On the surface, it's, a, it's so the room he's in is this big convention center. And on the surface, the bottom of the convention center is what's going on, which is political process, right? It's cynical view of that political process because this guy seems like a bit of an asshole. But the point is, is like that's where legitimate politics happens is this guy, he's going to do whatever. But then there's a second layer up top where Beatty is like chasing people, whatever. And that's where the real politics happens. In other words, that's like the secret. And it's worth noting that when this film came out, this is when conspiracy theory stuff was like starting, like the conspiracies around JFK. And what this film sort of does in having the the commission at the beginning and at the end is the idea that like the conspiracy that starts here is ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continuing yeah. thing. It's like, you know, uh, not, maybe not quite a shadow government, but something those sorts of emotions are at play and that's what they you know they're connecting that to a lot of the conspiracy theories that are going on starting at the time around the kennedys that the murderers of all these people are part of one larger shadow government and not about individual cases of, of stuff going on mm, yeah agreed and that like it, it's just funny how like they open and close with that same shot of the government of the the panel right right it's so ominous and it's so creepy and that's the thing it's like that's this movie in a nutshell i don't know if i connected with it on the first time i watched it i had to watch it twice just because i didn't know if i picked up exactly what i was supposed to but by the end of the second viewing i definitely felt like the claustrophobia of the movie and the whole questioning of agency of all of the characters in the movie except for like the weird white people in that panel right like those those are the only people in this movie that felt like oh yeah those guys are ungoverned like it felt like that you know well the movie so, is like very cruel like characters just die like like yeah you know even the first thing when she comes to ask for help like you emotionally get connected to her and then she's just dead unceremoniously dead and that continues yeah. out through the movie it's like she's not just dead. They just show her in the body bag in the morgue. It's like that's the very – the scene cuts from her being in Warren Beatty's apartment to the morgue. Or like it's brutal. scene with his editor, man. Like uh, holy shit. Like the, the, you know, the whole time his so, – so Warren Beatty is this like basically kind of hippie uh, – reporter who does his own thing he doesn't really care for the rules or whatever he's he's sort of a classic yeah. anti-hero type but he's kind of like a bull-nosed reporter and it, it, this is a, kind of a trope in the 70s of these anti-heroes who seem like they're in control but by the end of the movie they clearly have no agency whatsoever and whatever mm -hmm. but it you know part of his relationship is with his editor who's a hard nose with him all the time and at first it's, it makes sense because a lot of what he's saying doesn't have a lot of basis but like 
over time, you start to think like, man, this editor's really not getting on board. And then finally, he has this recording he sends his editor, and you're like, okay, well, this is it. Like, he's got a thing, you know, whatever. And that same scene, the editor is visited by someone who you recognize as being a parallax person and is given his food, and you just know, oh, he's going to oh, he's gonna die. He's dead, yeah. The, oh, man. And also, that editor is played by Hume Cronin, who yep. you may remember from a little movie called Lifeboat by Albert Hitchcock. When It's cool seeing Hume Cronin in this movie as well. Okay. He's definitely one of my favorite actors, and it's awesome to see him as like the kind of uh, uncaring editor, but also... The one who like is the hope in the movie. I agree. Well, and there's yeah. you know so there's a there's a scene. So there's a few things, but one of the things I wanted to talk with you about was the 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 training scene. So, um, you know, initially he's just investigating what's happening to witnesses, and it's it's worth noting that other film, other sort of conspiracy theories, but even other movies have pointed out that some of the witnesses to the JFK assassination and the, and the RFK assassination you know, disappeared under mysterious circumstances. And you can put whatever stock in that you want to. Uh, you know, I'm uh-huh. I'm pretty sure the government or someone like that killed JFK. I haven't really studied the RFK thing. I don't really have a take on it. Um but uh but you know the idea that this starts with his feeling that the witnesses are getting knocked off. Uh but then this whole parallax thing it creates this whole sort of uh corporate superstructure whatever and so he starts to try to get in like a reporter would he's trying to embed himself to get info he's not trying to take it down he's not a fucking secret agent he's just like trying to write an article right and there's this Mm. scene where once they sort of approve him by the way he has a uh for the people for me people listening who maybe haven't seen it he has an uh, a legitimate psychopath fill out his entrance exam so that he he'll get in because he's certain that's what they're looking for you know um uh, and so he he he's given this test where he's shown a bunch of images and he is they measure his response to those images josh what did you think of that scene that scene is weird because it's really long very long it's so strange and like it's one of those scenes where like the actual essence of the movie is um is revealed right like because you're watching it and you're just like what the fuck is happening in my eyes but it's also like am i being indoctrinated as the way he's being like exposed you know what i mean like it's such a strange and like it's and he just walks into this room and then sits down and these goggles descend from the ceiling and this voiceover is telling him what to do and he has to just watch this stuff when like so all these random images are coming up or are they random and these words and all this stuff and the scene goes on for what feels like 20 minutes which i know it does not but um it definitely is like this is like the double perspective on what's going on kind of moment of the movie you know what i mean so you're like sure is this affecting me in some kind of way, or is this just what Warren Beatty is going through? So, well, and the movie does a lot to sort of suggest that um, the violence uh, that we tend to think of as external to America is actually like part and parcel of our identity, and it's part of who we are. Um, I think you, I think it, you know, from a critical point of view, I think it would have been more effective if that scene, if that sequence had been programmed by uh, a black person, because uh, you don't really need to like just showed nixon and hitler for us to know that america's violent you just need to use pictures of lynchings of which there are a lot and that yeah. that could have made the same point but this 
this director is not a black man. So, or or black person, <laughs> I should say. So they 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 only use a few racialized images. Mostly, they just use general sort of things. But the idea here is, on one hand, narratively, they're testing. Beatty's response to these images, sort of his biological yeah. response to get a read on him. But narratively, he's giving us a message, which is uh, the paranoia of this film is at the heart of the country. And really, in that sense, it's interesting. I wonder to what extent it's hard for us to connect to the movie because we describe this movie as a paranoid thriller. It's a paranoid political thriller that it's a it has a certain amount of paranoia and tension in it. But I wonder how many modern audiences watching this movie would find it naive. Right. To what extent is the kind of paranoia in this film for modern people who are so fucking cynical about the government and about the process of government, how, to what extent does that paranoia feel naive? Because you're like, yeah, 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 we know, buddy. Like, we get it. Of course. Who else would have shot that guy? It had to be uh, uh, either the government or a corporation or somebody like that. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I, I know. know. It's it's really funny, actually, to think about it, like the, the implications of this movie. Uh, whereas I feel like Z is like directly related to the current political climate. And this movie purport, purports to be like a uh, forward-thinking political like discussion, right? Or or, a, or an indictment, really. And um, I don't know if it holds as much weight. Well, I think just at the time, you know, from from the the King assassination or, you know, the... And RFK, yeah. Kennedy, all these... You, you even go back to Malcolm X, really. Through all these assassinations, I think liberal America was shook up. And uh, you add on top of that the Manson family murders and all that stuff going on. I think, I think they are sort of saying like oh my gosh guys 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 what if the essence of a, the american project is corrupt and it's and it's diseased well that's like you know that's like a childish gambino video at this point you know what i mean like that's pop <laughs> yeah. culture for us now you know like that's become part of our who we are and and there are still deniers there are plenty of people who think that uh, that's just not real, you know, and and it, it, and that's part of the naivety, right? Like when this movie came out, that sequence of images was probably controversial. There were probably people who were offended, right? But like yeah. now, juxtaposing Nixon and Hitler, or juxtaposing Washington, uh, George Washington and Hitler, is like mildly you know like oh okay it's like cliche <laughs> at this point. That's not a criticism of the movie because I think the strength of the movie is in its visual eye the scene on the plane where he is suddenly Ugh. becoming sure that there's a bomb on the plane and the slow close-ups of his face and him walking down the aisle that is fucking brilliant filmmaking and and yeah i and would agree i think that's I, probably the strongest sequence in the entire movie i think we i think we both felt like we connected with z more right like i think yeah. we both felt that way i actually think on a technical level parallax view is a better movie just because of sequences like that but I think I have, as much as I, I really appreciate the technicality of the movie and style-wise, the new American Hollywood is like much more my style than whatever this European style is that Z is made in. But that being mm. said, I connected with Z more because it felt more real to what I think the world is like. Whereas I really started to think like, wow, the paranoia in this film seems so naive to me because it's like mm. oh man there's a bomb on the plane like again that scene is tense i don't want to take that away but like 
you know, the idea that like we they would set up a Patsy and there's no way out for him, and even the visual metaphor of it all, it's very good. But it seems so obvious now. Like I think most people think that's how it is. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. But see, would you say that the majority of this movie is not obvious? Would you say that it is obscured as it purports to be? I mean, yeah, I don't think it's. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a sense of dread from from the beginning of the scope of the problem. You think, oh, this is going to end with a dead Warren Beatty. Like you just know yeah. that's going to happen. So I don't want to suggest, oh, like there's surprise you know but there are surprises there are things that happen that are surprising it's more like the sense of uh, you know it's a pervasive sense of dread right is what it is and i and i love the dread but the dread is coming with a i think also a sense of outrage i mean tell me if you think i'm wrong about this but my feeling is that there's a sense of outrage as well and i don't know that I share the outrage because in retrospect it feels so obvious between the between the assassinations and Nixon and then the CIA basically being outed as supporting revolution or uh coups all over the fucking world like all of this feels like yeah that's what's it, I guess what at the time felt paranoid feels like obvious history to me now. You know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't take mm-hmm. away from the dread of the movie. The dread is heavy. This movie is a heavy fucking movie, man. But like, I don't feel the shock of it anymore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, unfortunately. <laughs> I get it. And it's funny, right? Like, as I watched both of these movies, and specifically as I watched this for the second time, I think the revelation that I had is that this movie is, it's a heavy dose of atmospheric dread, but it's based in like a gotcha gotcha, whereas Z is based in a sense of futility, and that's the main difference between both of these movies that are very thematically similar in terms of what's going on, but as far as Z is concerned, that's a movie that's like, yeah, all this went on and it still didn't make a fuck of a difference. Which you know, I would actually say the the if you don't know Z is a true story, Z feels like more of a got it, it, it's almost a trick, right? Be, okay, let's just let's just switch the uh, gears and talk about Z. S- suffice okay. suffice to say, I think Parallax View is really great, and I think if you're a new Hollywood person and you haven't caught this movie yet, uh, I think it's worth watching. Um, I don't know if it's better than his other two movies, uh, Clue and All the President's Men. I'd probably have to watch all three to sort of decide because it's been a long time since I've seen Clue and I've never seen All the President's Men. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know either. I haven't seen either of those either. I will also say that Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World is in this movie and true, that's really funny true. to me. As is Hume Cronin, like we said earlier. Um, yeah. I don't think it was... I mean, I watched it a second time because I feel like after watching it the first time, I was like, ah, I get it, but I, did I miss something? Like, I didn't like it as much. But then I watched it a second time. I liked it a little bit better, but also, I'm good. It's not my favorite. I'll say. I really liked it. I think it's probably one of my favorites from this sort of genre of what I've been able to catch. But is there a lot that I don't know and I haven't been able to catch? Yeah, there's a ton that I don't know about. So I'm not an expert in this sort of like kind of movie whatsoever. Um, I will say, though, uh, I did think it was really good. And I think it's probably my favorite Warren Beatty performance of all time. Uh, All time? I think so. I can't think of anything I've seen him in that I like more than this. So, uh, but I do think like the part of it that's a little distancing, it doesn't make me not like the movie is just this feeling of like, yeah, like, uh, 
uh, it's not shocking to see this. You know, mm-hmm. this is like how it probably is in some way. I mean, <laughs> in some ways, not because I think the movie depoliticizes the whole thing, like by making it a corporation and by not talking about the politics of any of the people involved. It's not clear that the Parallax company has an agenda. Mm-hmm. It's just they're just a company, you know. So well, it's also it's also unclear who controls the Parallax company. Right. You know what I mean? So it's unclear. It doesn't actually go the full bore into the indictment part of the movie. Well, and I think it's, I don't think it is. In in some ways, it's more a movie about how powerless individuals are, which like, it's not my favorite sort of message for a message movie to be like, hey, don't worry. You couldn't make a change if you wanted to, you know, like, like we're all Warren Beatty just like smashing our heads against the wall or something like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really love that, but uh, but I also understand that's probably how people felt at the time, because uh, it wasn't clear that they did have a lot of power in that situation. I'm sure, especially people who are less leftist and more liberals. Like, if you believe in the system and the system maybe executed multiple of the people you liked, then guess what? Like, that's it, you probably feel pretty. That's powerless. a broken system. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, so then we get to Z, which is also a movie about the system. So I'll I'll do the plot summary on this one. Um, The there's a uh, leader who is a, I guess a pacifist. This is primarily he's on the left. That's clear, and he's a pacifist. And the government there's a majority. So this is a parliamentary system. So there's a majority government, and then there's an opposition party. And the opposition party, this guy's in the opposition party, and he's trying to have a rally in a town. And not only is the local government hostile to him and the local police are hostile to him, but there's also various organizations in the city, sort of clandestine fascist organizations that are hostile towards him. But he's determined to have this meeting. And so uh, the place where they're going to have it cancels uh, for obviously under threat and they move it to a very small place across from his hotel and the movie focuses for a long time on this the evening of the event and tensions are running high and there's different clashes here and there but eventually after the event happens he is attacked and it's pretty Mm -hmm. clear that the attack is to some extent sanctioned by the police uh and almost immediately there's a cover-up he is in the hospital uh in a coma and they you know he eventually passes away and the film sort of from pivots pivots from there away from him just him to uh this investigation of what happened to him and this particular really system uh establishment uh investigator who is not a radical and is not interested in politics it becomes really clear to him that something wrong is going on at minimum that this was an assassination yeah at minimum the police have been negligent possibly the police are involved in an assassination attempt and he is a, a, a stalwart ethical lawyer who is good at his job and so he an investigator who is good at his job and so he's going to do what he needs to do to figure this shit out even though he's inclined to not trust the people who in theory he might be helping by investigating the situation he's just inclined to do the right thing and so for a lot of the movie i was actually kind of frustrated by that because i thought if this movie's message is that one man who's good at his job sort of a skills because i think that's sort of the neoliberal fantasy is like if we all have jobs to do and we're good at our jobs the right outcome will happen and that's like not true so Mm. 
as the movie goes forward, this guy who is not sympathetic to the politics of the situation, he's not sympathetic to the poor folks who are at stake, he's not sympathetic to even the man who died, he's not sympathetic to. He just keeps going in the right direction because he refuses to be bad at his job and he refuses to sacrifice his integrity for politics and ideology for political comfort right. of one side or the and other and so the yeah. film seems to be suggesting this dude is the fucking hero especially as the associates of the guy who died are not particularly effective in any way and so various things happen there's a witness they pull apart different conspiracies they show that there's a secret organization they sort of explore some of the political antagonisms. And the message from the system over and over again is that if you expose this corruption, you destabilize the system. And that is not okay. And the film then sort of culminates at the end in this grand sort of uh, finale of they're going to prosecute these people. Well, the thing about Z, y'all, that you might not know, and I certainly didn't fucking know, is that it's a true story. And so then the film basically ends on a high note only to say, so here's what actually happened, which is, uh, yes, he tried to prosecute these people, but then the military stepped in with a huge coup, destabilized the whole fucking government, and all these people, including the investigator, suffered horrible consequences for what happened. And so in a sense, and I don't know if this was the intention, but the meaning I got from the film was doing bureaucracy well isn't going to fucking save you because when it <laughs> comes down to it coup wins over bureaucracy so like doing the system right doesn't work if the system is based enough on violence that having more violence means you win and that's what happened in real life is that the military yeah. said well we don't like what happened here so we're just going to wipe the slate clean and start over and that's fucked up man and i cried yeah. real ass tears about that yeah, man, like the his, the dudes that was friends with the doctor that got killed, they all mysteriously passed away, right. like died in like accidents ways. And then like you realize that all like the police people that were uh, that were perpetrating this whole plot, they basically got off with a slap on the wrist and were allowed to return to society. And you know, the only people that went. the only people who suffered were the poor, great conservative assholes but poor people who actually physically attacked the dude they were forced to suffer and again that's really telling right they're basically even though they're not patsies and that they actually did it in a sense they are because the idea came from on top it came from on high but they're the yeah. ones who have to actually do the work and they're the ones who have to suffer the punishment yeah 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 so them and the investigator right he right because he dared yeah. to like put the system on trial it's crazy dude okay so let's talk about the movie itself for a little bit before we get into some of the politics of it i think it's really telling that the only po like the only like ideology we get from this guy is that he's against war did you find that yeah, interesting that he's, he's trying to demilitarize and and take away nuclear weapons right from this uh, global theater that greece is in yeah and yeah and and that's the issue. That's what everyone that on the other side is upset about. Well, and it's even telling the night he's trying to have his rally where all he wants to talk about is war is bad. We shouldn't have nuclear weapons. The fucking Russian ballet is in town performing. Yeah. The Bolshoi. Yeah. There's to me, there's a real cynicism there. Like the, the film seems to be like, while an actual person working for actual change is being punished, the fucking Russian elite from the supposed leftist nation are here being treated like fucking rock stars. 
and yeah. you know this actual hero is being murdered in the street. Yeah, and the actual cop, like the head of the police, is at the Bolshoi and not at the yes. not at the political rally where all the police are. It's just yeah, no, very interesting and salient. I thought it was really a actually kind of a beautiful juxtaposition. Yeah, and so the movie is shot in a style that I don't. So you know, we've said this before. We're not experts on this show, so uh, uh, you know, uh, it, people can educate me as to what how they would describe the style. This movie just felt very much from from scene one like a European film. Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely had that mid sixties European patina to it. Yeah. Of like kind of verite, kind of shaky, but also like I don't know, I don't know. It's one of those things where if you see it, you should know what it is that you're looking at. It, right? well, there's no amazing, like, there's no fantastic camera work. This movie isn't trying to dazzle you, whatever. It's telling a story, but it's not without style. It has a style. It there's some some interesting shots here and there, but there's no like you know super zooms dolly shit weird angles the film is very much like showing you what's going on but it still is very beautiful again i'm not an expert on this stuff but like it it wasn't showy direction it didn't try to remind you that hey you're watching a movie it was telling you a story and and there is artifice in that like it's definitely using a method to tell you that story but the method is interestingly there are a million characters in this movie, but the movie uses each character to the extent it helps them tell the story. No character is interesting just because they're a character. Like every yeah. character is like as useful as they are to telling the overall narrative of what happened. Yeah, every character is a cog in the overall narrative. And yeah, you're right. Like neither there isn't one even Eve's Montand who plays the doctor that gets assassinated. You see his his uh, synergy with the rest of the setting and the characters in the movie. There's no like standout soloist moment. There's a little bit of artsiness in the sense of like we get some of his relationship with his wife. It's clear that their relationship has not been perfect, but that they still love each other. Uh, and and there's a sense in which he has a little bit of that going on in his mind when maybe he should be focused on other things because he's in serious danger at this event. Yeah, he's threatened and also... Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, he gets a death threat before the event, and it's reported to the police, and they're kind of like, ah, we get that all the time. It's not real. Right. I want to talk a little bit, some of my favorite performances. First of all, the gentleman that you pointed out, who apparently is a singer, I didn't know anything about his music stuff at all. But as the doctor, I thought he was actually very good. He's not in a lot of the movie, but the stuff he's in, I thought he was really great. Um, but the other person I thought was pretty great was uh, the horrible thug, who, by the way, yeah. might also be gay. So that's a weird aspect of the movie. Um, who actually hits him with the staff? That performance was like really good. Like that guy was yeah. really believable. Especially the sequences when he's talking to the to the press editor guy. Yeah, I thought those those were chilling and just like how he's like smiling through these whole things about trying to like weirdly being prideful and the guy being who killed the thing. You know what I mean? It's just like, Whoa, it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) It's really good though. I really liked him a lot. Actually. I think you're right. Yeah. I like the, well, you know, it's hard to talk too much about the plot because I don't know how much of it was artifice and how much of it was accurate, but you know, I do think like as a film, it really shows you how just because there's a conspiracy, and there's like a shadow 
sort of group of people working to make this thing happen, they're disorganized. They don't know exactly what's going on. They're not even sure who it is they're mm-hmm. supposed to be murdering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that aspect of it, I thought was really great, and 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 just the like ineptitude of the police conspiracy, like that the guy driving the car is the personal driver to the to the uh, head of the military police. How hard would it be to find? anyone else to do this thing so that you would be less connected but they just they don't care because they don't think they're going to get caught there's just a real feeling of like we don't have to do this well because we just needed for it to happen yeah and just the the whole the whole monologue at the beginning of the movie gives you that sensation of like these like authorities in this in greece here just aren't really afraid of even like they're just in there for for like the hubris of saying their agenda right and like impressing that on people who don't want nuclear war you know what i mean like it's it's a really strange like uh not strange but it's it's definitely the stuff that gives me nightmares now of these like stentorian voices that like speak in these like well you know these are isms that need to be repressed and it's just like it's it's frightening it's a frightening look into a past that mirrors very much where we are today in america and um yeah that shit is great i uh i was very sort of emotionally affected by the tragedy of it all you know Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that that was sort of made into a sharp point by the end and again i don't know i don't know how many people when this came out would have seen it the way that i saw it which is Mm -hmm. i had no idea what the story was i'm assuming a lot of people saw it knowing it was a true story but my experience of it not knowing it was a true story and not knowing the history at all was like it made that ending so much more crushing because it really does end in a way that feels hopeful that feels like yeah yeah the good guys actually won and so to suddenly be like nope they sure as fuck didn't (laughs) and to do it it's not cruelty right it's not mean it's just reminding you that this victory is so fleeting oh man it it just like it really got to me man it got to me too it got to me and again like in the analogous like concept of like a trump presidency it definitely felt like is this what i have to look forward to like we're going to go through four more years of this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it was, uh, for me, it was like having a finger on a pulse. And that made me very sad. Yeah. It's brutal, man. But uh, again, I loved Yvonne's hand in this movie. I'm surprised that he actually didn't, he was on the Rushmore soundtrack. He's the one French song on the Rushmore soundtrack, which is how I found out about the music stuff. And, um, the further I went into it, I was like, oh, this dude's an actor. And, like, the fact that he took, like, huge risks in playing this role, you know what I mean? Like, they, he was banned from America after this movie came out, and this movie was cited as, like, an incendiary piece of film in the 60s. So it was, like, uh, it was banned and all this other stuff, you know what I mean? Like That's crazy. crazy. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome, actually. But, you know, that... Uh, dude like that and like that's the other thing like if i I, as i look further into the actual story about it like the doctor was an olympian and he was like a sports role figure you know that went into becoming a doctor after his athletic career had done and then he moved into politics so like that was the person that got murdered and it's just like it's so heartbreaking you know what i mean like it's heartbreaking that like these agents for peace 
and for demilitarization in general, which I think should be a universal goal, like that's considered political rabble-rousing and leftist rhetoric. It's fucking crazy, man. It's insane. What? I know. It's such a bummer. <laughs> but that said, I love this movie. I thought it was really good. I, I really, um, again, even though it connected to like uh, some dour prospects in terms of, again, the political climate in our country in this day, um, I thought it was a great movie. I liked it more than I liked the Parallax View. I'm trying to decide if I do if that's true of me too. I think it is true of me too. Um, I mean, I okay. So, I think it's worth admitting that. Um, I guess I already said this. I I I really suspect that the Parallax View is a supremely well made movie. But just on an emotional level, this is just a story I connect with. And I think it's one that's more relevant for the situation that we're in, in that these are people who are part of a movement, even if it's a political movement. It's like within the system. This is a candidate, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. but he's an outsider candidate, and he's someone who the establishment thinks they can just murder, right? Uh, but that idea that, like, um, that just trusting the system to do the work for you isn't going to work that like you have to be prepared for violent retaliation you have to be prepared for the system to use violence to sort of reassert itself it's like incredibly important right now like it's worth noting right that i and i think this is true that in some cities where we're seeing the police do things that were like, how can they be wiling out like this? When we assume that the mayor is commanding them to, or even quote unquote, allowing them to, we're making a big assumption. And the, the assumption there is that we're assuming the mayor has any goddamn control, right? Mm, well, yeah. it's pretty clear in, in this situation that like, they're doing what the fuck they want. You know, the, the police and the military police have made this plan. And, the people who are uh, around it, they of course want to believe them and they want to maintain the system, but they didn't plan it, you know, because they don't have the power to. I think it's probably true. Like, say the the stuff going on with the Columbus statue in Philly, right? Mm. And the cops are down there, like letting these guys do whatever the fuck they want. You know, the idea that Mayor Kenny is like cool with that is maybe not true. It might be that he doesn't get a fucking say because they're just doing it. And the most he can do is yell at people or maybe fire one or two people, but he doesn't have necessarily the power to control these, this group of people. So what that means is if big enough change comes, the backlash from these guys might be a big deal. And we have to like, know that like, not that we shouldn't pursue laws and things like that, but we should be well aware that the threat of violence is always underlying all that shit. That, yeah, that, and that, that's a real threat. Yes. Yeah. And that's hard because, again, I don't want to use violence. There's no situation in which my solution is, well, I'll just have my own violence. Well, that's just not going to happen for me because I, I think that just perpetuates that system. But I have to be aware that the fact that I think violence is wrong is it going to keep anyone from using their violence on me? You know, like that's not a yeah, protection yeah. at all. No, that's real. That's it's a real threat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is a great Fuck. movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's on the Criterion Channel. It's one of those movies that I watched and thought, oh yeah, this is why I have the Criterion Channel, um, and it's just great. It's really amazing. Yeah, yeah, loved it, loved it. 
Thank you for picking it because I would have never picked it. <laughs> Again, not be- You're welcome. Not because I'm above it or something like that. I just didn't know anything about it. I was ignorant, and I- I'm glad we got to watch it. Yeah, I'm glad we got to watch it and talk about it today. It's not short. You're going to need a chunk of time. Yeah, but, you might need to rip a whiz while you're watching it. But, just saying. But much like the Five Bloods, I was never bored. I never found it tedious. No, and there, there, yeah. and there's no gunfights. Like the Five Bloods kicks it up because it occasionally has like giant gun shootouts. This movie's mostly talking, and for over two hours, I was sucked in, and I never felt the time. Yeah, I was completely wrapped up the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, I think that's the episode, y'all. Yeah, we did it. Check out both these movies. Like I said, I think they both connect to the present moment in their sense of paranoia and politics, but also uh, they still are different enough from the present moment that I felt like we were escaping a little bit, and that felt good. Mm, I got to to think about things that were important without focusing on our own trash world. But I I do... And isn't that the beauty of art in general? But I do think Z has lessons that we can learn from. So I really do think you should watch that if you haven't seen it. Agreed. Agreed. So, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, Do us a favor. Rate, review, subscribe. uh, Download, download, download. uh, And, you know... Tell a friend, just like on a human level, like tell someone you know, hey, check out this podcast. I think you'd like it. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, if you, but only if you think they'd actually like it. Yeah, that's true. Don't lie or anything. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions, you can hit us up, cinepugs at Gmail, comments, concerns, uh, rants, hit us up. You can also um, head on over to social media. It's at Cinepunk, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, on all the platforms that there are. Uh, we try to keep those updated pretty regularly. Um, and you should, you know, go to the website, cinepunks.com, check out some of the other podcasts. We got so many podcasts now. We got a new one, uh, Books B Sides, is a music podcast. Uh, we've got uh, Fat Girl Hacks. We've got The Evil Eye, uh, Horror Business, uh, Black Sun Dispatches, lots of stuff. So you should check it out. Check out some of the writing there. Uh, and, and, and make that, go ahead and make that cinepunks.com a regular visit for you when you're surfing the webs, as they said in the nineties. <laughs> Never heard of it. Yeah. Never heard of Me it. Me either. I just made it up. Cool. All right. So that's it. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you guys real soon. Okay. Bye. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.